0: This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Knire. Thanks for joining us. The Harry Chapin Food Bank of Southwest Florida in Fort Myers is the largest hunger relief network in Southwest Florida, serving Charlotte, Collier, Glades, Hendry, and Lee counties. It distributes purchased and donated food and other grocery products to more than 170 partner agencies and programs that provide direct services to those in need, like food pantries, mobile pantries, and senior programs. Before the pandemic, they were spending roughly $40,000 a month to buy food that jumped to $1.4 million a month during the first year of the pandemic and has remained high ever since. They're currently having to spend almost a million dollars a month to provide food for those in need. Add the challenges and increased need brought about by Hurricane Ian and the coming summer months when kids are out of school and seasonal workers have less income, and it's easy to see how hard the staff and volunteers at the Harry Chapin Food Bank must be working to continue meeting the demand for food across this region. I spoke last Thursday with the Food Bank's president and CEO, Richard LeBur to get an update. Let's hear that conversation now. Richard Levert is president and CEO of the Harry Chapin Food Bank of Southwest Florida. Richard, welcome back to the show. It's good to see you as always. Great to be here, Mike. So you've been at the food bank. If I'm doing the math right, about seven and a bit years now. Yeah, that's correct. Yes. So we've talked to you over time. Uh, there's always different challenges. You know, you had uh, economic downturns. Um, you had the pandemic. We had mm-hmm. Hurricane Ian. Big picture, how are things right now at the food bank? Have you reached a level of normalcy, or you know, what's what's the big picture right now?
1: Well, I. I think we're defining a new normal.
0: Um, I I
1: don't know that we're going to go back to what we saw pre-pandemic. We are continuing to run well above pre-pandemic levels, um, like 60% above where we were before the pandemic, um, 30% above where we were kind of at the lows after the pandemic.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, So it's continuing to be challenging.
0: We're seeing lots of people out there that need help. What do you attribute that to, that that staying higher after the pandemic? Well, I think it's a number of things. Um, You know,
1: there's some fundamental economics going on there. Um, You know, we've got uh, people who are still recovering from Ian. Um, And then I think the bout of inflation in the last year or two has been really hard on some people. Um, You know, because fuel prices are still running about – I think close to 50 percent above where they were before the pandemic even though they're down recently food prices are up 20 percent in the last two years rents are up substantially
0: Um, and so there's a lot of people who are really struggling to find ways to make ends meet Hmm. Um, let's talk hurricane ian for a little bit sure Um, how did the storm impact your operation, like in terms of your facilities mm-hmm. and the people who work, who work for you, the people who volunteer for you first, and then we'll talk about like how you responded to it. Sure. So uh, first and foremost, um, my
1: operations director and I walked into the food bank uh, two days after the storm. And the first thing we noticed when we got inside the warehouse was that there was sunlight in there hmm. because the storm ripped a hole about 200 feet long in the corner of our roof. Um, so we spent a good bit of time, uh, dealing with that. In fact, we just got our permanent repair finished last week. So we've been operating with a temporary roof. Fortunately, we were really lucky in terms of what area of the warehouse that affected. We really didn't lose much product. We had a couple of tricky weeks there where there was water coming in every time it rained, Mm -hmm. Um, but we got that dealt with. And then we really have just been waiting for insurance settlements and availability of materials and roofers and that sort of thing, like so many other people are in Southwest Florida. So operationally, we came through it okay. Uh, We were able to get back up and operating within a couple of days after the end of the storm. I think the storm came through Tuesday, Wednesday. By Saturday morning, we were doing full-scale distribution operations. Um, I was in Cape Coral on Saturday morning. What I'm really proud of is our staff, because over 50% of our staff were personally affected by the storm. Uh, A large number of them were displaced from their homes for several weeks, and yet we were able to keep operating and keep taking care of people who needed
0: help. When you say you were distributing food, was that through mobile pantries?
1: Yeah. It was mostly through mobile pantries. Um, You know, as you know, in normal times, the majority of our food goes out through other partner agencies. But in the weeks immediately following the storm, we had about 50% of our agencies that were closed. They had either been damaged or their volunteers had left uh, or were dealing with their own personal issues and weren't able to come volunteer. Um, And so we went through a period of several months there where uh, a lot of our normal agency network, other organizations that help us distribute food, many of them were closed, and particularly in some of the harder-hit areas like along
0: the coast and in Cape Coral and up in Port Charlotte, uh, places like that where the damage was severe. Did you get out to, like, Fort Myers Beach or, or Sanibel once they got the bridge fixed at all? I did. I got out to Sanibel the day after they reopened the bridge for people. Um, I got out to
1: Fort Myers Beach, I think, uh, maybe a week and a half after the storm. It is... Well, people who haven't been there, it's just, uh, stunning. I don't have words for it. It's, uh, to this day, Fort Myers beach still to me looks a lot like a war zone. There's enormous amounts of damage and it's nice to see it recovering. The public store in Fort Myers beach, uh, reopened last week. So, um. You know, there are signs of recovery. There's lots of work and cleanup and other things going on, but it's very clearly going to be years before some of those communities get back close to where they were before the storm.
0: I was out on Fort Myers Beach not too long ago, and I grew up here, so I know the beach really well. And it was just, the thing that stuck out to me is how many empty lots there are now. You know, that really is just, it's just shocking to drive down Fort Myers Beach and to be able to see the water almost the whole way, because all the ones on the water side are, a lot of them are just gone.
1: Yeah. Th- in some cases, it's like there's no sign that anything was ever there. Yeah. It's just sand dunes. Uh, you know, I think what's going to be really uh, interesting is to watch the community come back in in what form. You know, it's not like they can rebuild uh, a lot of those uh, charming beach shacks that, you know, populated the the beach there Um can't be rebuilt that way, I don't think.
0: Um, they can't. They're, they're, everything's going to have to be like on 18-foot pilings, basically. Um, uh, did you learn any lessons from a storm as severe as Ian? You know, we've been through hurricanes, but that was a, a, a different level of, of disaster.
1: Well, I learned some personal lessons. Uh, I, you know, I thought I was pretty tough from having been here through Irma. And uh, what I learned was that Irma was really a, a piece of cake compared to Ian. Uh, the devastation, of course, is much broader and and much more severe. Um, We're pretty proud of how the food bank uh, and our partners coped. And I need to start, I guess, there by saying that the Harry Chapin Food Bank doesn't stand alone when we do this kind of work. We had donations and staff and vehicles uh, coming in from all around the country. We had uh, people come from as far away as Texas and Oklahoma to come help us. We had food from all over. Like other food banks? From other food banks and from major food manufacturers uh, just sending us donations of food to take care of people. So, you know, that, it, it was nice to see how that works. It was a real test for the network. You know, it, I don't know whether people realize this, but Ian is shaping up to be in the top three most expensive storms in the history of the country. Uh, just based on the extent of the damage and the value of the properties damaged, of course, as well. So we, you know, we have 50,000 homes that were affected, 5,000 outright destroyed after the storm. Um, So I think we learned that we can survive that. I think we identified some weak spots and, you know, what we need to be able to do. Um, And we've identified for the long term that the food bank uh, needs to launch some significant um, initiatives, which we are beginning to really build the infrastructure that we need to have for the future, that we think um, that, you know, the region is going to continue to grow, that the number of people who are hungry even in blue skies is going to continue to increase. And on top of that, we need to be able, in the case of a hurricane or other disaster, to be over the short term able to double our normal level of activity. and we're not confident in the long run that the facilities that we're in, that the you know infrastructure that we have is going to be able to keep doing that at increasing levels. So we're making some
0: significant investments there. Is your warehouse on Fowler? Is that the Fowler location or where, where is your main location?
1: Yeah, that's our main location is on Fowler Street in uh, Fort
0: Myers. Um, So far enough away that it didn't receive flooding, but certainly had the wind problems.
1: We had the wind. Obviously, it tore a strip off our roof. We had some localized flooding, you know, but I'm talking about water a foot or two deep, and the building is much higher than that. So uh, it wasn't anything substantial.
0: So, remind our listeners uh, the scope of where you guys cover. You've mentioned the partner agencies. Is it about 150? Is that about accurate? Or is Actually, it it's than up that? to about
1: 170 now. Okay, it's up to um, 170. Uh, across five counties. So, we serve Charlotte, Lee, Collier. Henry and Glades counties, Port Charlotte and Punta Gorda, all the way down to Marco Island and halfway across the Everglades.
0: Uh, give some examples of who these partner agencies are. Is it um, churches mostly or, or not? It's all kinds of organizations. It's certainly a lot of churches. Uh, there's some
1: household names, uh, Salvation Army, Catholic Charities, St. Matthew's House, Grace Place, uh, Meals of Hope, uh, CCMI. So some big organizations uh, around town that are active in f- taking care of the hungry, and we are the primary source of food to the network of those kinds of organizations in southwest Florida.
0: Explain uh, how, how you get this food. Uh, I know that uh, – before we, before you answer that, how much of your job as president and CEO is working with the operations and how much of it is trying to find ways to find food? <laughs> um. I would say I I spend uh, probably
1: uh, right now about thirds of my time, about a third of my time is sort of internal focused on people and operations and all of that. And about a third of it is looking for partners and other organizations that we can team up with to either help us get food or help us distribute food. And then about a third of my time is Uh, talking to the public and talking to the press and elected officials and telling the story and trying to gather resources, frankly, to support our work. So where do you get the food? The food comes uh, from a variety of sources. The single largest source is uh, grocery stores. We have trucks picking up at every major grocery store in Southwest Florida. Uh, In many cases, they're picking up every day or every other day because those stores know that that last lonely can of green beans, you know, if it's if it's a week older than all the other cans of green beans, no one's going to buy it. We've all seen someone standing in the store, picking up a, a can of something and looking at the expiration date and then choosing something else because it's newer. Um, so every retail store in the country has this process where they cull that stuff. And then they, the question is, what are they going to do with it? And what we try to enable is for uh, that to be as easy as possible for them to donate it to us so that we capture as much of that as we possibly can and that's our single largest source of food our second largest source of food is farms um not so much now because the growing season in florida is has largely come to an end but certainly in you know november december through about march or april there's a lot of growing that goes on around here and A lot of food uh, that comes out of farms that for one reason or another can't find a home, can't get sold. And again, the question is, what do we do with it? And we try to make sure that we make it simple and easy for those farms to donate it to us so that we can use it
0: to take care of people who are hungry. And so – and I know the answer to this because I've talked to you before. Transportation is one of your biggest, if not your biggest – Uh, expenses because somebody can give you the food, but you're trying to make it easy for them. So you have to get it and then bring it to where it needs to be.
1: Yeah. Transportation is critically important. You know, people say to me all the time, gee, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could rescue this food that is getting wasted and use it to feed somebody. And that's essentially what the food bank does. But the problem is, you know, if you're a farm and you have three tractor trailer loads of tomatoes that you haven't been able to sell, You need to have a partner that you know you can call us on the phone. We'll be there this afternoon with an appropriate vehicle with refrigeration and a trained driver. And that once you give those tomatoes to us, they're not going to wind up on a street corner getting resold to somebody. That they're going to go to people who legitimately need help. At the same time, on the other end of it, if you're hungry today in Cape Coral, It doesn't do you any good if I tell you I can feed you next week in Lehigh Acres. Um, So there's that side of the logistics as well, which is getting the food back out into the community, you know, in ways that are convenient and useful for people to be able to get to it.
0: It's just a great big logistics challenge is what you work in, right? That's right.
1: That's probably 80 percent of what our staff on a typical day or spending their time doing it's what kind of food do we have coming in and from where and how are we going to get it and what do we need to support the needs of people who are hungry in our region and where does it have to go and in what form and by when
0: hmm. and just figuring out all those logistics is a never ending puzzle. I can only imagine. I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guest. Richard LeBurr as president and CEO of the Harry Chapin Food Bank of Southwest Florida. It's the largest hunger relief network in Southwest Florida, serving Charlotte, Collier, Glades, Hendry, and Lee counties. We're getting an update on how their operations shift during the summer months with the kids out of school and how they're handling these interesting economic times. If you'd like to engage with the show about today's topic or any of our episodes, just use WGCU social media. We're on Facebook and we're on Twitter. So let's talk about the summer, um, this is the beginning of summer. You know, school's letting out. Uh, a lot of kids get you know breakfast and lunch at school throughout the school year, mm-hmm. and that's something that they rely on. How does the summer change what you do, and how do you try to help that situation?
1: Well, so it shifts in you know in several different ways, but uh, there's a lot of kids getting fed uh, at school, as you mentioned. Uh, we do pantries in schools. We have pantries in about 30 schools these days. Um, some of those shut down, and so we have to shift gears, and we are making arrangements now to have an, a variety of summer feeding sites all around uh, southwest Florida so that we can make sure that we have food available for folks who would otherwise got kids at home and they would normally get fed you know,
0: breakfast and lunch at school. Uh, You say pantries in schools. Does that mean, um, you know, not feeding them meals, but, you know, giving them the ability to take some packaged food home and stuff like that?
1: That's exactly right. So we have we have dedicated spaces in about 30 schools around southwest Florida, um, particularly schools where there are a lot of families of limited means. And those uh, are, you know, the school provides us with room to do that. Uh, they frequently provide us with staff or volunteers to run uh, the pantry. And then, you know, when, when mom or dad are picking up the kids after uh, school on Friday, they can uh, come in and pick up a box of food and take it home for the weekend to help them take care of themselves and their family You know, if they're experiencing
0: difficulties keeping food on the table. Um, You know, we go through seasons here in southwest Florida, not quite as much as we used to. It's not quite as obvious when it's the off season now. But does that impact your operations in terms of volunteers and just having the people that you need because people leave town?
1: Yeah, summer is the most challenging time for us um, for a variety of reasons. Because of staffing, as as you mentioned, we have a lot of – well, we have a lot of wonderful volunteers, period. But many of them are snowbirds. Um, and so, you know, they go somewhere else and they're not here in the summer. At the same time, demand really goes up because if you think about, you know, who's hungry, a lot of times it's working families. Many of those people are seasonally employed. Um, they may have work to do in the summer, but they have less of it. Um, you know, the, if you're cleaning rooms in a resort, your boss might well call you and say, hey, I only need you three days this week. And so, you know, people's incomes are down and they've got the kids home from school. They're not being fed. So
0: it's it's a
1: hard time for a lot of folks like that.
0: Um, you know, we've talked to you on the show before and you've talked about how much money that you have to spend on food versus having it donated. Where are you at now in that? You know, I know during the pandemic you were spending like a lot on
1: food. Yeah, we're still spending a lot yeah. on that um, for a variety of reasons. Um but, you know, just to give you a, a little bit of a comparison, um, before the pandemic, uh, my budget for purchasing food was uh, about $37,000 a month. Uh, during the pandemic, it peaked at a million four a month. Uh, it's currently running over a million, so it has not gone back down to where it used to be. Um, and we're very grateful for the, you know, support from the community that enables us to do that. Um, but I think the landscape is changing in terms of the availability of food, in terms of the amount of people that need it, and the kinds of food that we need in order to be able to sustain the operations and the programs that we have. So we're, we're continuing
0: to buy a lot more food than we ever used to. And back to what you talked about at the top, um, inflation. You know, we all see in the grocery stores right now, um, prices are up. And so if you're buying food, that must be right on top of your list.
1: Yeah, we, uh, we figure that uh, the price we're paying for food in general um, is up probably about 15% in the last two years. And, you know, there were many, many years there where food prices went up 1% or 2% a year. Um, nationally, I think the food price inflation last year was 11%, and this year so far it's like 7%. So uh, even though people are talking about food inflation is down, it's not like the prices have gone back
0: to where they used to be. They're just not going up as fast as they were at the peak. Hmm. So where do you buy the food? You know, is it you get it through wholesale means or do you buy it from the grocery stores? So when you say you're spending money on food, like who are the, you know, who who do you buy it from?
1: Yeah, we're buying – when we buy food, we buy food in – truckload quantities at wholesale so we're not we're not buying it in your in your local grocery store we're we're paying wholesale prices and we're buying truckloads of things and we're buying them weeks and months in advance and trying to you know get the best deals we can on on products that we need to kind of fill out the portfolio of products that we need to build kits and take care of people give them a balanced diet
0: the other thing that we've experienced altogether in the last few you know maybe a year, a year and a half, is supply chain issues, certain th- items not on the shelves. And you must run into that problem as well.
1: We do. Um, and, you know, so you won't find us buying eggs, um, even though egg prices have come back down some. There are certain things that are just hard for us to get or hard for us to justify the cost. Uh, and we have a dedicated purchasing staff that this is all they do is look for you know, what's available out there and what kinds of terms. And we are always trying to juggle to get the most we possibly can out of, out of our money.
0: Um, do you have enough volunteers? Do you have enough, um, F, you know, do you have, how are you doing in terms of the needs that you have? What do you need? How can people listening help what you're doing? We
1: always need more volunteers. Um, we always have things for volunteers to do, except maybe right around Christmas time when everybody and their uncle wants to volunteer, um, but, uh, throughout the year, we always need more volunteers it's easy to go on the website and sign up and we would be delighted, especially at this time of year in the summer when, you know, a lot of folks have left the area, uh, that's really useful. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, we always, uh, need, uh, donations of food. We need donations of, uh, money, frankly. Um, and so people can help us with that. People can, Mike, people can help us just by helping their neighbors and their friends understand what it is that we do and why it matters. Who's hungry and why are they hungry? We need to try to help people understand that, you know, there but for the grace of God go you and I, the people who we see who are hungry. Many cases are just like you and me. You would not be able to distinguish them in, in any way, but for whatever reason, they're going through a tough patch. They've they've been ill. They've lost their job. Uh, might be something as simple as, you know, I, I was driving to work and I drove ro- over a pothole and I racked up the suspension on my car and they tell me it's a $700 repair and I don't have $700 in the bank. Um, there's plenty of people in those kinds of circumstances too. So if nothing else, you know, help folks understand who's hungry and why You know why it's important to take care of your neighbors and make sure that no one has to experience that.
0: Well, we'll have you back in the future, I'm sure, and hopefully at some point the trend lines will go down back to uh, something that you are more able to manage. Um, any final thoughts before I let you go?
1: I always like to make sure that we are acknowledging and thanking so many wonderful, generous people in our community. It, it is really uh, – profoundly gratifying and touching to be in Southwest Florida and to experience the generosity of people who help us every day take care of their neighbors uh, from the goodness
0: of their hearts. All right. Uh, Richard LeBeur is president and CEO of the Harry Chapin Food Bank of Southwest Florida. Richard, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate being here. You can find links to information about the Food Bank and its programs on our website, wgcu.org GCL. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear your episodes in their entirety on our website or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Connery. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island, 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.